Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel, and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at AM 1290, KZSB.com. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets, and in Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I am hanging in there. So um, I understand it's going to rain again. I can't even talk about it anymore. Let's mm-hmm. just introduce our guest. We have with us today, Marianne Partridge, Editor-in-Chief and co-owner of the Santa Barbara Independent. Marianne, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. So our our first article today um, is from uh, the Wall Street Journal, and it's entitled Crypto Firms Shift to Safety and Buy Treasuries, which is sort of a strange headline because crypto was supposed to be the disruptive way of eliminating uh, the need to go and buy uh, uh, treasuries and other government. It's almost uh, an oxymoron, right? Yes, it's real, It's crazy. <laughs> and and what they're talking about here is Di, uh, DeFi, as opposed to DeFi, who's our senator. DeFi is um, a, uh, uh, a term uh, that means decentralized finance. And there are these DeFi companies that have popped up all over that are um, in the business of providing a trading platform for people to uh, exchange uh, crypto for goods and services without having to go through an intermediary. And they operate like banks and have promised over the past few years investors to get a double digit or even triple digit annual returns because these uh, intermediaries invest the money at high yields. Well, today, the game has changed completely. And because of all types of issues, including the fear of the banking system collapsing, uh, the yield uh, for the biggest DeFi companies are around 2%. And the reason for that is DeFi companies have shifted from buying high-yielding uh, it, uh, instruments such as uh, borrowing people's uh, cyber currency at high interest rates and um, uh, putting their money into treasuries. So here you have this disruptive business that was going to get rid of uh, of uh, uh, currency issued by governments, now buying governments where the return to the investor is less than they can get in T-bills. Yeah, that's a lot to swallow, isn't it? Yeah. The the next article is just a, a little bit of illumination into what we've all been following, which is the Republic uh, Bank's uh, uh, First demise. First Republic Bank? First Republic Bank's demise. And um, one of the things that haven't been hasn't been talked about as much is that, you know, the, the two reasons why the banks have had problems the last year is uh, the difference between the market value and uh, what was carried on their books for both uh, bonds and loans. And um, what First uh, Republic uh, was doing, which made, which really exacerbated this problem, is whereas many, many banks 
act really as uh, intermediaries. And as soon as they uh, uh, issue a mortgage, they sell it into the securitized market, and then they have money to go and do another one. So they're basically making commissions. Republic basically kept so many of their, which were probably loans at very low interest rates made to big uh, uh, big depositors at 1% or 2%. They didn't sell these, these mortgages. They kept them on their own books. So it made it even more difficult for them to survive this current crisis because unlike other banks, they didn't uh, uh, offload some of those loans. Yeah, and I think I think the real winner when we look at what's happening with with uh, First Republic Bank is J.P. Morgan Chase. You know, the writing was on the wall that they wanted to acquire them. Jamie Dimon was was brilliant in waiting until the FDIC took First Republic over. He ended up getting a a, a pretty um, wonderful asset for. $10 billion, which seems like a lot of money, and it is, I don't mean to say that it isn't, but their income off their wealth management side of the business is, is quite great. And if you think about what Chase now has is they have this asset, the shareholders of First Republic get nothing, the bondholders get nothing, all the employees with their deferred compensation get nothing, and you basically have Chase Bank taking this asset over and really being able to cherry pick out just the pieces that make money. It, um, it, you know, it's really a shame because First Republic Bank was a was a great lender, and they had a lot of client loyalty. And so it will be interesting to see what um, Chase does with with the asset now that it's theirs. Of course, one of the reasons they were a great lender is because they uh, issued mortgages at very low interest rates to their clients, which made their clients happy, but put them at financial risk. Uh, and a, sort of uh, a companion piece to this is another article in the Wall Street Journal, which talks about the uh, amount of uh, underwater mortgages that banks have today. And this is really an industry-wide problem. Um, when you uh, say underwater, Neil, what what are they? What are it they means that it's the it's the difference between uh, what is carried on their books and what the market value of those mortgages are if they wanted to sell the mortgages. So for example, um, if you issued a mortgage at uh, 3% and uh, you wanted to offload it, uh, since uh, mortgages are now at uh, 6%, you would have to sell that mortgage at 50% of value. And since banks are allowed to keep the mortgages on their books at amortized cost, or basically the value that they issue the mortgage at, the um, as long as there's no liquidity crisis, everything's fine. But if you get a liquidity crisis, you can't uh, raise enough ca capital to pay off that uh, demand for cash from somebody's checking account. And to show you how significant this problem was or is, uh, of 435 publicly traded U.S. banks listed on major exchanges, 97% of them reported that their loan uh, market value was less than the balance sheet amount as of the end of last year, which is quite a, a number. And that number uh, in terms of dollars was $242 billion of unrealized losses. And this is not on their bonds, which people were talking about the last month. This is on their on their loans. Um, and uh, you know that is why this crisis had to be dealt with because if it had, and hopefully it won't, spread to other banks, uh, all the banks have, 97% of them, have serious problems when it comes to liquidity because 
uh, of the uh, fact that interest rates on whatever mortgages they uh, held on to for portfolio rather than selling them are now worth less. Well, and really, this is this is part of that unintended consequences of rapid raising of interest rates by the Fed. And so it will be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, the interesting thing is the Fed apparently the 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 consensus view is that on Wednesday the Fed's going to raise money another quarter of a percent, which means that they are still focused more on inflation than on banks' liquidity. But we'll see. Um, it, the next, let's just switch over. This next article has to do with stock investing, and the article talks about the fact that um, the uh, uh, number of uh, large cap equity managers, uh, the majority of them out underperformed the S and P um, in 2022. And um, to show you how uh, difficult it was to beat the market uh, of of the 791 large cap equity funds that beat the S and P in 2019, only 9.1% of them were able to extend that streak of outer performance into 2001. So the ability to be consistently better than the market uh, based upon these numbers shows it is incredibly difficult. Um, but uh, even more to the point, uh, in another report, this article found that 22% of the stocks in the S&P 500 outperformed the index between 2000 and 2020. And that means that the S&P gained 322%, while the medium stock rose by just 63%. So this is an argument why it's very, very difficult for an individual uh, portfolio manager, whether professional or not, to beat the stock market. Um, uh, and the last article is from our favorite author, Jason Swag of the Wall Street Journal this Saturday. And um, uh, the title of the article is Funds with an Unrealistic Defin Definition of Risk. And um, private equity uh, and uh, 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 any kind of fund that is considered to be for high net worth investors uh, don't have the same requirements as uh, registered stock or registered uh, funds. And so uh, the example that uh, Swig uses in this article is that there was a company called Clearwater Enhanced Lending Fund, uh, which uh, advertised that they had a sharp ratio of 10 and um, a beta of zero. Well, uh, sharp ratios are uh, one tool that investors use to express uh, risk, and uh, usually anything above one or two shows that uh, it's a positive risk return. Ten is impossible, and uh, beta is a measure of variability versus the market, and uh, zero means that there is absolutely no uh, uh, risk of uh having the market turn on you investing in this. And so what Swig did is he went to Sharp himself, the inventor of this, and he said, what do you think of this? And he said, it's impossible. And yet it's something that is legally possible for a fund to go and put into writing an advertisement to uh, unwitting investors using uh, 
rules of thumb and statistics that by its very definition can't be true. So again, the rule here is, you know, if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't. Uh, you're well, listening. That that's to, what, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think that's what people continue to need to hear is that, you know, if it is too good to be, if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. And mm. you, you want to be very, very, very cautious. Yep. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Marianne Partridge, editor-in-chief and co-owner of the Santa Barbara Independent. So Marianne, how did you, how did your life, um, evolve into being part of this, you know, really institution in Santa Barbara and journalism in general? Well, um, I'm originally from New York, like Neil. Um, and Wow, well, and you managed not to have the same accent. Look at that. <laughs> I know, but I'm from Queens and he, he had to be from <laughs> Manhattan and that's you know, a little lower down. And anyway, um, so um, I 
when I met my husband, I was working at a paper. I wanted, I've always been in journalism. So when we moved out here to my husband's family's ranch, I needed to have a job. And I, um, uh, first of all, we bought with uh, uh, two friends a paper that was going out of business here called the News and Review. I don't know if anybody remembers that. That was a long time ago. And uh, then we merged with another paper in town at the time uh, called The Weekly and formed The Independent. And so that's how it became The Independent. And it's um, our intention was right there at the beginning to really try to become a um, major journalism newspaper in Santa Barbara. And um, I think that uh, we chose the name The Independent for a lot of different reasons, but The Independent was one of the first newspapers ever in Santa Barbara. And so it was, you know, uh, an old uh, Thomas Stork uh, paper, actually, way back when. So, so you, you, you really did short shrift to your journalism career before this. You've had an extensive career in journalism. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I started off as a secretary at the Saturday Evening Post when it was uh, the uh, one of the few ways a young woman could get a job at the time in journalism. I was extremely excited to have that job. And um, I then, uh, you know, was worked there and uh, worked in L.A. at the New York Times Bureau there and the Forbes magazine, where I was by all accounts a complete uh, ne'er-do-well idiot and needed to find another job somehow. Don't look so confused. Neil, I mm -mm. Really, <laughs> it was really pretty. Uh, not my cup, not my expertise. Uh, and then I got a job was open at Rolling Stone and I became what uh, has now become attached to my name the first woman editor at Rolling Stone. So that was how far back it was. Uh, and um, Rolling Stone was in San Francisco then. And uh, we were um, really counterculture, this was the word that was used back then. Uh, when we wanted to move, when Jan Wenner, who was the founder and brain behind the whole operation, wanted to move to New York, I went to New York and, um, opened and began expanding the New York Bureau there. And um, before long, I um, had an opportunity to become um, the editor of the Village Voice, which had been a long love of mine, that newspaper. And um, so I did that. And then very shortly after that, Rupert Murdoch brought it. And then I was on a roller coaster for a while. And that's, I don't know, is that explaining my... Yeah, you know, the Village Voice was the preeminent local newspaper probably in the right. country at that point, which right. gave you, I guess, a great deal of uh, of experience in terms of starting the uh, independent. It did. I think that the real reason, uh, not to be too boring about this, but the thing that was so exciting about working at Rolling Stone is at that time which was in the 70s, uh, the 
there was a full-on community that was really made up of um, younger people and people who loved the music that was going on, but also had the political awareness of concerns about, uh, you know, the Vietnam War, of course, was number one, civil rights, and also, um, you know, it was the Nixon era. And uh, so, you know, we covered, we had a fantastic writer working for us at the time, Hunter Thompson, and he and I were sent to Washington to, uh, I was sent there to to try to keep calm in the water. And he was sent there to write brilliantly on uh, the, on the uh, impeachment hearings and the eventual um, resignation of Richard Nixon. Um, but we were really, I really felt at that time that that was a unified community. Uh, after the war and as we moved into the mid 70s, that really changed. But the Village Voice always was a community, a source of community news. And that is really what uh, I found so attractive about working at The Voice and really humbled by the ability to do it. And so when we moved out here, the idea for me was to find a, a that kind of a publication that would really be, um, you know, you, a source of voice for all kinds of members of members of the community, but also uh, voices um, of um, important issues that were going on both nationally and then locally here too. So that that I, I was very much influenced by those two other. I think you're right. I was very much influenced by the goals of those other two publications and my own goal here. Yeah, and it's interesting. You chose the business model that the the Voice had, which was to uh, have advertising as the revenue stream and have. Uh, the newspaper given out. You, you, you've basically actually the voice. We had subscribers as the same as Rolling Stone. So there was subscriptions and there was advertising. So here, uh, the weekly newspapers that we were more patterning ourselves after um, was. And in fact, the news and uh, the news and review was that type of a paper. We weren't starting from scratch. The idea would be how can advertising would come in because of a large subscription base. How do we compete against that? Well, we compete against that by saying we have a free publication, but in the independence, uh, what we added to that dimension is we then had our paper verified. So when we said we had, uh, you know, 80,000 readers, then we had 120,000 readers, those readers were, had been verified through, through agencies, but that's what we relied on only advertising. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back.
American Riviera Bank is actually really good offering the loan to small businesses. The customer service that Renee gave, it was amazing. She actually gave us step by step. She helped me with every single step on the paperwork. She was great. We found a great bank and now we have a great coffee shop. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey. <laughs> We're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Be a leader. Be your own hero. Could you be at risk of a wildfire? Did you know that wildfires burn all types of fuel, not just forest vegetation? A wildfire occurring is not a question of if, but when. Take action today to become fire adapted. Prepare your family, your property, and your community through easy advanced planning. Your actions can make things safer for everyone. Be a leader. Be your own hero. For more information and resources, contact your local fire department and visit ifc.org FAC. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. We have the editor-in-chief and co-owner of the Santa Barbara Independent with us, Marianne Partridge. So Marianne, you know, as local newspapers are becoming more and more rare all over the country, which, you know, I view as a real threat to local democracy, the Independent has bucked that trend and has really been an extremely valuable asset to our community. How were you able to do that and, and what... Um, what advice to other people listening that, that want to take that path or, or make some change in their local communities? What, what should they do? Well, it has not, since the pandemic, it's not been an easy ride, I'll say that. Um, during, that during the pandemic, it was a, a real shock to the system. And I think that you're right. A lot of, uh, it was really during that, during that specific time, a tremendous loss of uh, local journalism across the country took place. And it was terrible. Here, I think there were several factors. One, we had already been a uh, accepted and successful publication in Santa Barbara for by then, I guess, around 30 years uh, but at the time of the pandemic. Uh, and um, so we had that. 
we had uh, a, I always say I'm the uh, luckiest editor in America. And I believe that from the bottom of my heart, because we have had over uh, the 36, seven years, a amazing staff that has come, been loyal, uh, and have done great work. And also, uh, we have a core staff that's been here quite a long time. Uh, Nick Welsh, who's our executive editor, he and I have worked together for almost, because we worked together at the News and Review also. So that institutional knowledge is what I think in great part people are talking about when they say that there's a loss to democracy with these loss of these newspapers, because there's people who don't know the community that they're actually in. Um, and there's no one there who has the history and the, the memory bank of it. Um, and that, and so the independent does have that. And we've, um, we've done our best, we are a progressive publication. I think you can fairly say that without lying, but uh, we also try to write, uh, it, write straight down the middle as many sto uh, stories as possible. But, so that's probably part of the reason we really work for our advertisers. So when advertisers advertise, they get good response so that they have a history of knowing that. Um, and then, you know, people work hard. I, I really don't know. I mean, beyond those things, I don't know. I, I wouldn't know what advice to give to somebody, uh, you know, interested in trying to do it, except the main thing is that you're, in my opinion, is that your roots are as deep as they can go in the community that you're reporting on. I mean, and, and to do everything possible to get that happening and to be able to communicate and reflect the lives of the people in your community. And now there's so little press in this, and we're lucky. We're lucky in Santa Barbara County. There, there, there is still a number of other publications, but I, Lompoc, uh, Santa, the whole Santa Inez Valley, there's very little that's up there that's actually doing reporting on the politics and the, and uh, and then the, just the na natural life of of the community that 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 they're supposedly part of. But we're lucky that there is at least that uh, throughout. And so, you know, I think one of your one of your major strengths as well is your um, quick adaptation from being a print only uh, publication to really incorporating online and your website oh, and, and being able to merge those two together. And so that was pretty um, progressive of you to do and adopt as one of the early adopters of getting that information real time out online. And so- Yeah, you're right. No, you're 100% correct. I mean, that's exactly what we did. We started probably not as early as we should, but we definitely began um, strategizing on how to be able to put together a strong online uh, digital presence in, in the community. And now 
uh, I think we have a very robust uh, readership online. Uh, it's the largest, as far as we can tell, in the in the county, and uh, and we're working on moving even more toward that because we right now we're we are a daily online, but we we are not as large as we're going to be moving forward doing as well. So the the you can get that information, I think. Um, more and more, and yet at the same time, where where other publications that have tried to go only online at this transitional stage, um, they have a hard time uh, being a for-profit publication, and we are a for-profit publication. So. And so, go ahead. When so, my next question is with online and print and your revenue model being that of advertising. Right. How are you able to outpace the inflation, which has been, you know, since COVID has been hitting and hitting hard. The cost of paper, the cost of ink has gotten higher and higher. And so how are you able to maintain and, you know, make a profit or even break even for that matter? Right. So the main thing is you run a very tight ship. So that that has to be watched very carefully. And that's what we have done. But you've raised an interesting point there, um, which is the uh, diff it's the difficulties of print really is only the difficulty of a press. And if you don't have a press, you can't do print. And there and one of the things that are is happening nationwide is, printing presses are closing down across the country. Or they're very old. The press um, here in town, which was part of the news press, you know, 40 years ago when they, or 30 years, whenever it was, that they brought, that when the New York Times was here, they brought in a, a really new press. That's not new anymore. And so it's, um, it, it, that is where I think uh, there's, in the, future where there's going to be people who are not moving over to, to, and embracing and figuring out how to operate on uh, by distributing news online, what's going to happen there? I mean, that that I think is an issue that will be coming up. You know, the, the other issue is how this community can get uh, instant news. Um, there should be a way, uh, there are some, uh, places, including this radio station, that does attempt, but there really isn't uh, a, uh, a news hawk as well, a, a place to go to when something happens. Yes, if there's a huge fire or flood, you know, key news will step up. But for the most part, if, you, if you're in New York, there are five news stations. So if you want to know what's going on on, the, on a bridge, you just turn on one of the news stations and it's all, it's all there. Here you can do stories, but th th there really isn't a place, a go-to place for for things that are breaking. Well, uh, we, I think we can certainly improve on that, but I think we do have breaking news uh, quite a lot, and we have, uh, and I think other publications have done that too online. But you are right that that there's always more and more news that can that can and should 
be distributed out to um, our 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 citizens, our neighbors. I mean, people need more and more to know, and they need also at the same time something other than gossip. I mean, it's it's uh, you need to check it out and and not just you know i mean don't you find sometimes somebody will tell you something you'll get it on you know one of the various neighborhood um uh, online and you know somebody will tell you oh there was a guy staring at the i saw a stranger on the street well you know we need to have a more um nuanced uh, analysis of the news too. So you don't just need the breaking, but you also need the substantive background. Otherwise, it gets hysterical and not. I, I thought I thought that if it's on the internet, it's true. Anyway, you're listening to Money Talk on AM twelve ninety and FM ninety six point nine, and we'll be right back. Jeremiah's Morning Show is coming to KZSB, and you're invited to join Jeremiah D. Higgins with Mornings with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi from Out Comes the Sun. It's radio with TV's Tim Stack and Mike Gormley of Mike Gormley Presents. Weekdays from 7 to 9 a.m., beginning Wednesday, right here on the station that loves to talk about Santa Barbara. America's first medical college was established in Philadelphia this month in 1765 at what is now the University of Pennsylvania. Students supplemented their instruction with observation and practice at nearby Pennsylvania Hospital. Across America today, there are about 780,000 physicians, surgeons, and specialists working out of almost 223,000 offices and more than 5,400 hospitals. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks could only dream about. So, Marianne, on the break, we were talking just about various, um, you know, you had worked for Rupert Murdoch, Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. You know, at what point is it, how as everyday average citizens how can we only be getting our news from billionaires who don't necessarily live in the same in the same world that we do as people? How is that affecting the news? And and how do you see us? How do, how do you see us as a society navigating through this and working to the other side? Well, first of all, I'm not sure that we ever got our news from impoverished people. And <laughs> true. Uh, and um, the, I mean, when you think about it, you know, the people who own the New York Times, they, uh, so what you did have in between there is occasion, not always, not historically, but often in recent times, um, you did have that um, church and state barrier um, that did protect journalists in general from the 
desires of the uh, owners. But of course, it's never completely, uh, if you want to be really honest and you look back at history, I mean, it's not the Hearst papers, you know, holy moly. And, you know, those guys knew what line they had to, to cross, but there were still, hero you know, very heroic journalists that were working for Hearst and, and covered great stories, you know, what, during World War II, you know. But don't you think a part of that was because they could still turn a profit? And as it becomes more and more difficult for newspapers to turn a profit uh, in this country and around the world, you start to get this, you know, what we're in right now, this cycle yes. of disinformation or vacuums of information where you start to only hear about the things that you believe. And well, there, that's right. You, that's what you, that's, you're right, right there. I mean, that idea where you're only hearing what it is you want to do. And that's, it's not, it's that, it's not that that hasn't happened for a long time. It's especially true in magazines for years. I mean, for years, for 50, 60 years at, that, at least that, you know, they'll narrow in on an audience. And I worked at the Saturday Evening Post and we had million readers. And yet it closed because the advertising wanted very niche markets. Now, today they can find those be through um, a variety of methods, really come zooming in on what those niche markets are for advertisers. And you see that with um uh and and that's one of the arguments that people have well maybe what we should have is a nonprofit journalism but nonprofit journalism has to go to then billionaires to ask for money right so i i don't i don't see that as um a, a, a you know as a as a safety valve particularly and um but I don't know. I mean, do you you feel that that when you get your news, you feel that that's what's happening? You feel it coming to you really through a billionaire or a Bezos? You read the Washington Post. You think that? Do you feel that? Personally, I don't feel that. But I think as as we've gone down this path, you see what's happened with the Fox News, um, Rupert yes. Murdoch's empire has definitely drifted to the right. You have the Washington Post drifting to the left. And then what you what you, what in essence you have is you have people only listening or watching or reading from their respective courts, which I think is a real disservice to democracy. I think when we um, look at what's happened in our country, journalism has always been the third pillar of what kept everything moving in the right direction. Well, I'm not here. Look, if let's look at something like let's look at the trauma of the of during of the press with during the Trump administration. There were times when I and that's when it became most uh, I think um, polarized. But that was the first time I ever read in the New York Times as an example where they actually would say, this is not true. This is what a certain person in the government has said, and it's not true. Without 
tremendous amount of evidence behind it. In during the Vietnam War, right, there was great, I mean, we went to war over something that was basically not true. Uh, and, and that all came out, but it came out slowly and it came out through the press, but it was slow. It's what what's happened at Fox News and MSNBC, you know, where there's it's you have that complete polarization. You you almost don't even want to listen to it, no matter what side you have. Uh, it's um, I think that's going to continue, though. I don't see that as uh, subsiding. Yeah, the the biggest societal problem is not what is being printed. It's that people only write, you know, read what they want to read. And you know, if any everyone in the country read the New York Times and the Washington Post, we'd have a much better country. <laughs> but uh, you know, people select what reinforces their prejudices. Yeah. How and how how would you judge that? Would you say that those big national, those two big national print publications that you're talking about, and I say you know, that you read rather than hear, would you say that those are, uh, or the Washington Post, which uh, the Wall Street Journal, which is owned by Murdoch, which I heard you quoting from there, that all sounds like that work is very uh, impartial and truthful. Well, you know, what's interesting about the Wall Street Journal is it is a wonderful newspaper, as long as you don't read the last three pages, which is the editorials. One of the things you have to give him credit for is he didn't interfere with what was a and what still is one of the best newspapers in the world. And so, yes, I'd add that one, too. So if you, if the public read those three newspapers, I think we'd have a much better democracy. Uh, and if elected, those, I are probably, national, those are basically national publications. Yeah. Are they not? Oh, they yeah, are, all. they are, but but they, you know, when I read it, sometimes I say, "How could anyone uh, believe so and so after reading this?" But then I realize they didn't read this. Uh, you know, you read what they describe as craziness, and then you look at people across the country who reject it, uh, and it's because they didn't have access to, or didn't understand, or didn't want to read what is essentially to me truth and you know truth is relative but in some cases it's not relative you know uh, but maybe you want to know what as i sit here and listen to you both talk i can't help but to think that maybe if there were more and more local newspapers where people would read some national news but really things that they they think about every day what's happening in my kids school what's happening in my in my town in my community Perhaps it would make for a more um, better educated on issues, you know, electorate, basically. Yeah, I think the solution would be the, everyone to only read the independent and listen to our radio show. You're listening, <laughs> you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back with our final segment. When you're farming a vineyard, you have 180 days to bring about a certain quality for the eventual wine. With a bank like American Riviera Bank, it's really comforting to have a partner that understands the agricultural landscape. Having people that communicate quickly with us, that are able to be flexible in how we're doing our business on a day-to-day -day basis has been a real strength in what we bring to our client base. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. 
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So Marianne, as the editor-in-chief and co-owner of the Santa Barbara Independent, what vision do you have for the future of the Independent, and where do you see it going into the future? Well, I think it's going to be here long-term into the future. And that is our main goal, is to be sure that there, that this uh, publication is, is reaches out throughout the whole community to voices that have not always been heard, as well as um, unifying everyone in the, uh, actually in the county, to um, know and share the same information, the same things and uh, knowledge that's going on. And the way that that's gonna be done is uh, primarily as a digital publication. And of course, we'll continue with the print publication as well. But uh, I think that we're going to be using the idea of reaching out First, of course, our uh, website at independent.com will continue. We'll be using, um, reaching out as we do all the time through newsletters and breaking news, and also through events that we hold to bring the community together in that way. The underlying thing is to keep a community, a web of the community still all working together regardless of what their various points of view are, as long as those points of view are all working toward um, a a functioning community, which I think remarkably, if I were to say one of the things I think is really remarkable about where we live is that we do still have that. And I don't think that that exists in every other 
in, in every community. I mean, we still have a sense of place and I think that the independent is going to continue to be doing, to be reporting and bringing those informations from all corners of, 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 of our community together. And I think we're going to do it in a, a lot of exciting and new and different ways too. You know, advertisers like uh, statistics to see who actually is 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 uh, reading and touching uh, what they where they advertise. Will the uh, increased uh, emphasis on digital uh, permit you to see who's making those clicks, and therefore you'll be able to increase your advertising? All that information. We have, and we we definitely share it with our advertisers uh, as well, and um, and we'll continue to get that. I and and it's very encouraging and moving and humbling, actually, as to what kind of response we've gotten from our readers and our advertisers. I mean, it it is really actually. Um, I, I think it's really a humbling experience, really. I mean, it's it's been the most of my whole life, my whole career, this has been the most um, exciting and challenging thing I've ever done. I mean, and 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 it's wonderful to work with these people here today, too. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marianne Partridge, editor-in-chief of the Santa Barbara Independent. We love your newspaper, and thank you for being our guest. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week. Yeah.